Okay, Psalm 119. Okay, the title of tonight's sermon uh, is, It is good for me. Doesn't that sound good? It is good for me. Did your parents ever say to you one time, Eat your broccoli, (laughs) study hard, do this or do that because it's good for you. Okay, it's good for you. So let's turn to Psalm 119 and see what the Word of God says. Psalm 119 and verse 71. It says this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Oh, you weren't expecting that, were you? Afflicted means troubled or struggling or having a rough time. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. So they believe that David, King David, wrote this psalm. And he's saying it's actually good for me that I've been through this difficult time. He didn't say it's good. He said, it's good for me, okay? And you may be going through a difficult time too. You may be struggling with something. You may be challenged by something right now. And it's not good, but it could be very good for you. It'll be good for you because you can learn about the Lord more, about God's ways, okay? And also hear from the Lord. He says in verse 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. In other words, even if I had a lot of money right now, I couldn't have bought my way out of this situation. So if I had all these things of value, it would be of no value to me. But what you say to me, your word is far more valuable than anything that I could use to try and buy my way out of it. And then in verse uh, 73, he says this, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Now as you read that, you go, oh yeah, that's good. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Now the way of the world is to learn and then supposedly you get understanding. But he's saying, God, I want you to give me understanding so that I will really learn what I need to learn. That I will really learn what I need to learn. So he's saying, give me that understanding so I can learn what's going on and learn your ways, your commandments. So he's saying, I want to look to you for this. I want to get wisdom from you. I want to get understanding from you. I'm going to get it from you, not someone else, not something else, but from you, because you're the one who created me. You're the one who understands me. Now I want to understand you, okay? So let's go to the next verse. 
in Job chapter 19. Now, sometimes extreme situations give us the most profound experiences and we learn from that. Sometimes people can tell you and tell you and tell you and you just don't get it. But when you experience something yourself, then you actually get it. And it may not be good, but it can be very good for you. Because something you experience firsthand, you will never forget, right? So Job experienced something firsthand. And halfway through his ordeal in Job chapter 19, because that book has 42 chapters, halfway through his ordeal, this good man, this godly man, this righteous man, who's been really struggling and afflicted, he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. In my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. He's saying, look, no matter what happens, I know God is God. He's my Redeemer and He's alive. No matter what happens to me, even if my skin is totally destroyed, and he spent his days, I was talking about my friend, itching and scratching. <laughs> you know, Job was tormented by physical affliction. He was tormented by his friends who said, you must have sinned, Job. You've done something wrong. And he'd done nothing wrong. He'd done nothing wrong. And yet, this thing was allowed to happen to him. And he knew about God, and he served the Lord. But he didn't really know God. But in his heart, he said, how my heart yearns within me. And he says, I know that at the end of all this, I shall see God. So he was saying, I'm not looking at the situation. I'm not looking at the problem. I'm not looking at the devil and blaming him for it. I'm not looking at my friends who are saying it's all your fault. I'm looking at God. And I'm going to see God. And I'm going to see him for myself. You're not going to tell me about him. I'm going to know for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. It's great to hear testimonies and stories of wonderful things that God has done for you and for you and for you. I think that's wonderful. But I want to have my story. You know what I'm saying? I want to tell you my story about my encounter because I have seen him. That's the longing of my heart. And that's what Job was saying. Halfway through this situation he was in, he learned. He learned something. And then at the end, right at the end of the book, in the last chapter of the book of Job, it says this in Job verse, uh, chapter 42, verse 7. So it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, so God has spoken to Job, and now he's speaking to Job's friends, especially this one. My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. 
So even though Job was having a very difficult time and really struggling, he did not speak against God. He was relying on God. And God spoke to his two friends, and this guy must have been the ringleader. <laughs> and God spoke to him and said, look, I'm not happy with you guys. You said bad things about me. You misrepresented me. But Job didn't. He's a true servant. And then, afterwards, the Lord spoke to them and he said, I want you to prepare these animals and make a sacrifice that's acceptable to me. And so they did it. It says here, So Eliphaz the Temanite, Eldad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nahathite went and did as the Lord commanded them. For the Lord had accepted Job. It's interesting. They had to make, they had to kill an animal and make the sacrifice to be accepted to God. Because according to their law. But he said, it says here, the Lord had accepted Job. Job's faith. Job's faith was accepted by God. His sacrifice was not cursing God. His wife said, I oh, just curse God and die. But he didn't. He didn't. He continued to bless God and believe God. And that was his sacrifice to the Lord and it was accepted by God. And it said this in verse 10. And then the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Okay? So even though God was upset with Job's friends, he wanted them to be prayed for. Maybe they were repentant in their hearts. We don't know. This is kind of the end of the story. We don't hear about them again. So Job prayed for them. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. And indeed the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So everyone loves this story. Job got twice as much. Woohoo! <laughs> At the end of the story. But do you want to go through the first 42 chapters like he did? Not really. But at the end of it, he said, you know, I heard about you, God. I heard about you, but now I know you. And that was the true thing that he was longing for. So even though it wasn't good what he went through, it was good for him. Not only that, it's good for us. It's good for us to read these stories because it gives us encouragement that even if something difficult or something's going on in our lives, it doesn't necessarily mean we're being punished by God. It doesn't mean that we've done something drastically wrong that's unforgivable. It doesn't mean that we're in sin because Job was not. It was just something that he had to go through. It was a learning experience for him to encounter God in a profound and life-changing way. And so that can give us hope too. Okay? Let's go over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. This is a pretty interesting passage. This is where Jesus is going on a... a he's heading straight for Jerusalem, actually, and he takes a detour, and he goes through this place called Samaria. And the Samaritans and the Jews don't get along, okay? And so he's got a couple of his disciples with him, James and John. 
And whatever Jesus did, he was training them. So Luke chapter 9. Whatever he did, he was training them. He was letting them experience the mission field with him. Okay? Because he was going to go away. And it was up to them to take over. So Luke chapter 9. Let's go to verse 52. So as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Okay, this is James and John. Went ahead to set up for him. But they did not receive him. So the Samaritans did not welcome Jesus. They didn't receive him. Okay, they kind of ignored him. Because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So is this their fault? Not really. This is in the plan of God. This sounds like and looks like these Samaritans are very rude people. Okay? Inhospitable. Unwelcoming. Then, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So they're remembering back in the day, way, way back, hundreds of years ago, Elijah the prophet called down fire on the disobedient, those who were against God. And so James and John, these disciples, are thinking, wow, these guys are so disobedient. I'm offended by their disrespect. So Jesus, do you want us to take care of this problem? Do you want us to deal with it? What did Jesus say? Go ahead, guys. He turned and rebuked them. And he said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, this story, people focus on the Samaritans and how they did not welcome Jesus. Why did Jesus even go there? He didn't go there to minister to the Samaritans. He went on that little detour because he wanted to show two of his key disciples who would be key leaders that they had rotten attitudes. They had a bad attitude. James and John, what did they see? They said, the Samaritans have bad attitudes. And Jesus said, hang on boys. It's actually your attitude that I'm concerned about. Okay? So that's why he went there. To see what was in their hearts was not good. That would have been a powerful learning experience for them. They, at one moment, were thinking, yeah, Jesus, we can do it. We can fix it. And the next minute he's saying, hey, you got it all wrong. That must have been a very humbling learning experience because it actually wasn't about the Samaritans. It was about them. He was equipping them for the work of the ministry. And actually, when they told him, we'll take care of it, they were actually disrespecting him. Quite disrespectful. Quite disrespectful. But he humbly just said, you don't know. You don't know what's really in your hearts. Check it. Check your attitude. Check yourself, guys. 
Stop looking at everyone else and pointing the finger and blaming them. Look at yourself. You are to represent me. They must have learnt the lesson pretty quickly because it said they went to another village. <laughs> okay. That's being dealt with. So whatever we go through, we can learn from. Whatever we're going through, we can learn from it. A great life lesson. There's different kinds of learning. You know, we can learn from books. We can learn from listening to other people. We can learn from hearing from experts. There's different ways that we can learn. But one of the greatest places of learning, they call it the School of Hard Knocks. Have you ever heard of that? The School of Hard Knocks. That means life. Sometimes it knocks you down, but you learn to get up again, okay? The School of Hard Knocks. We learn best from first-hand experience. It'll have a lasting impact and it can really change things and change us. Um, I was just thinking about um, one of the stories. One of the meetings that I had, this lady organises it for me. She's very zealous for the Lord. She's come a long way, but she's still, like all of us, got a long way to go. She was telling me this testimony. She used to wear glasses and she had quite some problems with her eyes and it was her birthday a couple of weeks ago and somebody called her to say I want to pray for you well she was having a really bad day okay and then the people called and said we're going to be late and so she started getting really angry about it and she said look don't bother coming don't bother coming and they kept insisting Look, it'll only take 10 minutes. We want to come. We really we feel that the Lord wants us to come. She's like, oh, don't bother. So anyway, she, she ended up allowing them to come. They prayed for her. God healed her eyes. She now does not have to wear glasses. She wasn't wearing glasses and I hardly recognised her. I've only ever seen her with glasses on. And God just healed her because she... She was repentant about her attitude. I mean, don't feel bad if you're wearing glasses, okay? <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. God was dealing with her specifically and her heart attitude, and she could have stopped what God wanted to do. But she learned from that experience that you need to just check your attitude, get over yourself, and just see what God has for you in that situation. Okay, the next verse that I've got is Hebrews chapter 5, just briefly. You know, Jesus had to learn. Jesus had to learn. He learned obedience through suffering. It says, though he was a son, and not just any son, he's the son of God, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, was Jesus ever in sin? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But he had to learn. He learned everything that we've had to learn. He was flesh and blood, okay? And he had to learn to obey so that he could overcome every temptation, so that he could learn not to sin, so that he could actually be the saviour. I mean, 
Think about his mandate, what he had to do. I mean, we struggle through each day. Imagine what he had to go through, what he had to learn and then to obey. He was just flesh and blood like us. I wrote down here, spiritually intelligent will not just learn. Who wants to be spiritually intelligent? Spiritually intelligent. You know, we are called not to just be mentally intelligent but a high IQ. Emotionally intelligent but spiritually intelligent. Spiritually intelligent people will not just hear the word, they will learn from it and then they will apply it. We need to learn to apply God's word for our lives. And how, what did Paul say? Philippians chapter 4. Paul was a mighty man of God. And we think, oh, well, it's easy for him. He was a mighty man of God. But he had to go through what he had to go through to fulfill the call of God in his life. We need to go through what we need to go through to do the same. Amen? So in Philippians chapter 4, this is what he says. I have learned. I've learned. In whatever state I am, to be content. Wow. Have we learned to be content? <laughs> Have we learned to be content? It's a learning experience. It's an ongoing process. I've learned in whatever state I am, whatever's going on, I can be content. I know how to be a base. That means I know when it's really difficult, I can deal with it. And I know how to abound when it's all good. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. No one likes to be hungry. <laughs> but he learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now you see that you go, oh, you know what, I want to abound, but I don't want to be abased. I want the good times, but I don't want the difficult times. But we've all got them. We've all got them. We're all going through something, okay? We're all going through something. But like him, we can learn to be content where we are. You can have goals, you can have dreams, you can have visions, and you can pursue those things. But also you need to be content right here, right now. Okay? And Paul was able to say that. He had learned to be content. Now, contentment is not a natural state for us. Alright? Contentment's not a natural state for people. We always want more. We always want greater. We always want better. Isn't that true? We're very rarely satisfied with what we've got. And um, I was sharing this the other day. I know somebody who they will greet you. Hey, how you going? And they'll give you a hug and you think they're glad to see you. And you start talking to them. And then all of a sudden they're looking over here. And they're looking over there. And it's like, hello, I'm here. 
and they are totally disengaged and they're looking for someone else or something else, someone better, someone smarter, someone something. And there's just this discontent on the inside of them. They're not satisfied just to stand and give you five minutes of their attention. It's like there's this something inside of them. They don't have this contentment. And I think that's a sad kind of thing. Sad. There's this driving force on the inside. You know, Adam, it's all Adam and Eve's fault. You know that? It's Adam and Eve's fault. Because the Lord said, hey guys, look, you can have all, all the fruit from all of these trees except that one. And they were not content with everything else which was perfect and wonderful. They just wanted from the one they couldn't have, the one that had the don't touch sign on it. And that's what we're like sometimes. But it's good for us to have self-control. It's good for us to be content. And we need to learn, whatever you're going through, maybe the Lord's just helping you to learn to be content. To be content as a married person. To be content as a single person. To be content in your workplace right now. There's nothing wrong with wanting more. But don't let that drive you. Seek the Lord where you are, be content where you are, and then he will open up other avenues for you and other prospects for you, okay? Because you are trusting him and you're not trying to make things happen yourself. You're not trying to fix everything or force doors open, okay? And the last one I want to go to is in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. You know, sometimes some people will access the Word of God purely for the blessings. They will look for all the good things. I like that, I like that, and I want that, and I want that, but oh, I don't like that, okay? And they just want to access God's Word for the blessings. And Jesus was addressing that. He said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, Come to me. All you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me when things are tough and you feel like you're weighed down and you can't handle anymore and you've said enough is enough. Come to me and I will give you rest. That's great. But some people just stop there. Okay, I just want rest. But then he says, take my yoke upon you and what? Learn. Learn from me. He wants us to learn. He doesn't just want us to have peace or have rest or have victory or have healing or whatever. He wants us to learn. To learn from him. And then he says this, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, what does he mean when he talks about a yoke? He's talking about walking together. Because a yoke was on the oxen. It was a double thing, okay? When we walk in our own ways, in our own strength, we are actually carrying a yoke by ourselves. And the other part is kind of dragging on the ground. But the yoke of the Lord 
is actually it means walking with him, walking together. And he takes the burden and things are lighter for us. And then we have rest for our souls. When you're walking alone, you don't have rest for your soul. When you're walking with the Lord, you have that rest. And you learn about him. You know, if you run ahead of somebody or you totally walk away from them or you walk behind them, you can't hear what they're saying and you don't know what's going on. When you're close to someone, you know what's going on. You can feel there's an atmosphere, there's a presence, okay? And when you're with the Lord, you will find that rest. When he is alongside of you, you will have rest for your soul. We need to learn that. To walk with the Lord, we will find rest. We rush ahead, we run away, we go to the left or to the right. And then that heavy weight comes upon us and we try and do everything ourselves. But when he's there, he carries the weight. He carries the weight. He lifts it off. We need to learn these things. You know, when you hear, take my yoke on you, it's like, you know, responsibility from God. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And we think God is a punisher. <laughs> but he's actually only water. He said, I'm gentle. I'm lowly and so I'm humble and I'm gentle. That sounds pretty sweet to me. And the Lord will lift off that burden and we'll find rest. Every one of us needs rest in our souls. Every one of us needs to learn that when we let go and let God be God, things will change in our lives. Amen? Let's close our eyes. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you that as we remember today is Palm Sunday, leading up to, to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Lord, we learn that it is good for us. It wasn't good for you, but it's good for us. It's good for us that you loved sinners so much that you had a plan in mind to rescue us and to save us. Lord, it's good for us that Jesus didn't sin so he could be our saviour. Lord, it's good for us that you were obedient and courageous enough to die on the cross even though you were without sin and you did it for us. We thank you, Lord, that it's good for us that you rose from the dead. You've conquered the power of sin and the power of sickness and the power of death. You've defeated all our enemies. You came to destroy the works of the devil. Lord, it's good for us that you receive anyone who will come to you. You won't turn them away, no matter how smart we are, or how pretty, or how ugly, or how tall, or how rich, or how poor. Lord, it's good for us that you welcome us with open arms. And it's good for us, Lord, that we didn't have to earn our way into heaven because none of us would have made it. None of us would have made it. And Lord, I thank you that you give us your word. It's good for us to learn these things that no matter what is going on, we can be content. We can have faith. 
can have vision. We can have hope for the future. Thank you that your promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Lord, whatever we're going through may not be good, but it's probably good for us. If we allow you to walk with us and through it, you will bring us out on the other side.